there was a therapist who who shared with us that you know the names of the illnesses in the mental health world are completely off. Um, I think you can understand depression is not just like being sad. You know, it's not just being angry. It's it's like when your whole life just doesn't look the same anymore. Hello, and thank you for joining our podcast, Hope to Recharge, a show that is designed to bring hope, inspiration, motivation, and some practical tips to those that are battling depression and anxiety, and to those that are supporting loved ones that are going through the journey in this difficult time of depression and anxiety. I'm here to tell you, you are not alone, and we will live beyond depression and anxiety. We will share our stories one story at a time in a world of mental health together is better. I'm your host, Matana. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, hello, everybody, and welcome to Hope to Recharge. Today is Tuesday, and the Jewish day is Tuesday is a very, very special day. It's twice good. And I feel that today's um, episode is really, really special for me because I was introduced to this phenomenal woman by the name of Zahava List, like a shopping list. That's how she told me I should introduce it. Zahava List, she created this phenomenal organization to support women that struggle with mental health. She's going to go a little bit into details on that. So I'm beyond honored because... I feel like she took her struggles and she turned it into courage and she took, she turned it into a salvation for others. So welcome on our show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. Great uh, to be here. Yes. It's, I know that we contact, I don't, I don't remember who introduced us. I don't remember who it was, but somebody that goes through your organization and she said that I must meet you and hear about you, and um, hear about all this amazing support you give women. Zahava, tell me a little bit about your background. How old are you? Where do you live? Where did you grow up? I am originally from St. Louis. I'm now 37. Uh, me and my family, we live in Baltimore, Maryland. I have lived in Israel uh, when we first got married. We lived there for six years. And yeah, that's really where I'm up to now. And did you, did you always um, have this big vision of um, doing something great with the world when you were a little girl? Did you think like, even before Chazkenu, but did you think that you would do something big? So it's funny, I was very quiet, um, like very introverted child. Like I was always more of a follower. I would never have imagined that I could do something like this. And I could never imagine that an idea of mine could really go so far. And um, I was just straight through high school, just very, very much a quiet person. The only time I remember ever hearing anything different is I had a friend whose really close family friend came for Yantif. And we all were over there and he analyzed handwriting. So we all waited till the end of Yantif and at the end of the holiday. And we all wrote our name and like a sentence and he analyzed different things and he saw my name and what I wrote and he said, you know, you seem quiet on the outside, but on the inside, you're a leader. Oh, wow. And I was 15 years old at the time and I was like, yeah, very nice. (laughs) I never thought so. So maybe that was the first um, seed that he planted in your head that you're a leader, gave you permission to lead maybe, maybe. Yeah, could be. 
So your name is a Hebrew name, Zahava, which means gold. What is it? Yeah. Golden? It means gold. Yeah, Zahava. So um, you're really a gold treasure in the world of mental health. Thank uh, you. Definitely. I believe that there's a lot in a name, and I don't think it's coincidence that you have that name. So let's dive in. Zahava went through a journey of depression. I don't know a lot about the story. I always interview people that I hear with you listeners, and I like hearing the stories together with you. So I'm going to ask her about her journey. What happened? What happened with depression? What happened? When did it come first into your life? Okay, so well, depression was only part of the story. Actually, um, I really never experienced anything outright like mentally and, and anything in my mental health. Um, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and therapy and mental health like was just like taboo and, you know, they belong in insane asylums. And I remember hearing when I was little, like that word manic depressive. And I was like, what is that? Like they're crazy. And I had like such a stigma, you know, growing up. So, you know, I went through high school and seminary and after seminary for three years, I taught in the school that, um, you know, I grew up in the community and I came back and I had been so quiet. But then after seminary, I, you know, started becoming this teacher. This was like kind of the beginnings of when I like came out of my shell and people were like, wow, is Ahava actually talks? Wow. And I, um, so what happened was after three years of teaching, I married um, two of my students' brother. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, my mother-in-law um, chose me to, for him and we got set up and we were like our first St. Louis Shidduch and it was very exciting. Give, the, um, give a background what a Shidduch is. Okay, so a Shidduch is when somebody is matched up with you for a um, to date, to go out. And um, so my mother-in-law fixed us up and we got, you know, um, and it was really exciting. And now I was my, you know, my student's sister-in-law. So that was great. And so when we came, um, after we got married, we went to Israel. And I was like, from the top of the world, I was remembering when I was in seminary and I had such a great year. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my dream came true. And my husband was part of a yeshiva, part of a, like, he would learn um, during the day. He was really part of a community, and there was a bunch of young couples living near each other, and we had a great rabbi, and it was just like a dream come true. Mm -hmm. And um, I became pregnant right away. I was, all of a sudden, like, I never thought that anything different, because I never had been pregnant before. So I just thought everyone must feel that way. Like everyone must feel like, like it's so hard to get up. And I had a really good job. Also, I was working with a girl who I was like shadowing and it was just a great job. And it's not easy to get a job when you're English speaking. And I was just like, I had everything and um, I just didn't want to get up. I lost interest in a lot of things. This is during the pregnancy? During the pregnancy. So the early on. But it was very mild. Um, and I only looking back, do I see that this was something more than just like reg regular being pregnant and weak. Like I was, you know, I was really just like in the beginning of my marriage, I would make my husband breakfast and lunch and dinner and be so excited about it. And by the end, I was like barely able to do anything. Um, I got very big during the pregnancy. So I thought it was just like I was heavy. And that's why, you know, I didn't really think anything of it. The baby was born. And it was really exciting. It was 10 months after we got married. 
And I, after this baby was born. Did you give birth in Israel? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We were in Israel. And after the baby was born, you know, most mothers are like tired and, or they're just like talking about their baby and being a new mother and, and everything like that. Instead, for me, I wasn't able to sleep. My mind started racing. I was having like calling everyone, calling everyone in the world. My, my friend back then at that time, a high school friend, I called her and she already started seeing something's up because I just had a baby and all I'm talking to her is about what I think of her and her mother and how they have to work out their relationship. And I started like, you know, kind of overanalyzing everything about her life and about her childhood. And, and I started just saying these things and I, I thought I could read minds. I thought I was able, I had powers that other people don't. I really did become manic and psychotic and that comes in stages. So for me, it happened really quickly. I started off in, uh, you know, usually the depression is what starts it off. And that was like the mild depression that happened during pregnancy. Right after the baby was born, I started getting manic and that was less inhibitions, like people who I would never come near. I started talking to them all the time and I eventually started getting delusional. Wow. And yeah, and it and it happened like sometimes people could be like manic for months, um, and then like realize there's a problem. For me, with it, when, by the time my baby was ten month, ten days, I was like severely psychotic. Ten days old. Ten days old. Was it a boy or a girl? It was a boy. Oh, so, so at the yes. circumcision, you were already yeah. like really not well. So, so at the search, yeah, at, like I was totally. I was doing things that looking back, seem like I could be really ashamed of. And at the time I, you know, I did do things that I, I never would have done. And I was just, I didn't think anything was a problem. You Everyone didn't notice around, it. You didn't no, notice it. I was like, this is the best thing in the world. Like I'm fine and I'm great. But at the same time that this was all happening at night, I would be like severely just want to leave, just want to leave the world. Like I would say to my no husband, way. I would say to my husband, like, I am not needed anymore. Like my neshama, my soul is ready to go back. Wow. And I, I also didn't feel things. Like I was in the shower and I burnt myself and I didn't even feel it. Like I was like literally not there. Wow. And, and, and along came also a lot of the trauma that I never knew I had. Right. as a child came right. out and I started saying things like, cause I was saying a lot of things and my, essentially it's almost like my subconsciously came out right. and my subconscious just started talking and everything that was in there that I dissociated from and that I didn't realize all of a sudden started coming out. Like for me, trauma wasn't like sitting in the therapy room and the therapy saying, so what happened to you when you were a right. child? Right. It just came. Right. So I really also feel that I gave birth to a trauma. So you're like threw it up. It, it vomited, exactly. right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, so for me after that, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I'll talk about how we ended up getting help and all that. But yeah, so that was... Who, who, who was the person that, that said to you, Zahava, something's wrong with you? And how fast was that? Because you weren't realizing besides the nights that you were suffering and you just wanted to yeah. run away to end your life or to just end the misery. Um, there's a fine line between ending life and ending the misery. We just want to end the misery, but you just didn't find a sense of purpose. 
So that was your little bit of insight, but the rest of the day you were okay. So who was the one that said to you, Zahava, this is not after birth, normal after birth. Right. So really like I was so, it wasn't even like I wanted to do anything for the sake of just not liking the world. I just felt like I was, I was obsessed with this whole Mashiach, like the Messiah, and that I'm the wife of Messiah, and like wow. baby was Messiah. And like, wow. I'm better than this entire universe. Like it got to that. Like it started off with just being like, kind of like think of someone who is on drugs and alcohol. Right. Like they'll just right. be like, hi, hi. Talk and say all these things. But like once it got really bad. So my husband was really confused. He oh my gosh, everything. that's so scary. And my in-laws were there and they had never seen such a thing ever. <gasps> and um, so they didn't know what to do. Wow. So, so what happened was, how did I end up getting help? So I am so lucky because when I moved to where I lived in Israel, um, we had neighbors that my husband went to when he was in, you know, young and in school. He got to know this family and he was kind of like, they were like his mentors and right. he really liked them a lot. And he wanted me to meet them. But the only time that we were able to like get to their house, like it only worked out a couple months into our marriage when I was already like just not interested. And I remember waking up, and weak. Yeah. And I was just not interested in, in like people so much, you know, and it, only looking back do I realize it was kind of a start of a depression and social anxiety, which I never had such an extreme. So I didn't want to go and he convinced me to go. So I went to this family and the wife was like unbelievable person. Like I love the way she was with her kids and with her husband and she made delicious food. And she's, I was like, I want to have this type of home, you know, and I was just starting my own home. And so I really, really liked her. So she was like the only one that I was like, okay, about going to for Shabbos. And right. I liked her a lot. So she what was happened? Like your mentor? Yeah. In Israel? So she is a very close family member to someone that we know well. And my husband confided into that person that something's going on and we're not sure what to do. And, and so that person called up my friend and said something, you know, you call, call us like, so the reason why is because when she, so she called my, my husband and she said, um, how's everything going? And he's like, uh, fine. You know, cause he wasn't going to say what's going on. And she the said, stigma was strong. The stigma was very strong. And, and it wasn't, it was just so confusing. We didn't right. even know what was going on and how to get help. Right? And embarrassing. It was embarrassing. And he was afraid. What am I going to say in front of people? So anyways, so she said, I'm, like, she's like, something's not okay. I, I'm coming over. So he's like, okay. So How did she like, know? Well, she had heard from the person that she knows oh, that okay. we know. And, you know, okay. but um, she came to my house and it was 11 o'clock at night. And of course I'm on the phone and holding my baby. And like, I even have a picture, like all my first pictures with my baby are me on the phone and like, hold, you know, giving him a bath or me on the phone and right. doing something. So I'm sitting there nursing my baby and she comes and she's like, can I come in? And I was like, sure. You know, I wasn't embarrassed about anything. And she's like, Zahava, you're having a postpartum reaction. How did she and know? How did she know so fast? She said, you know why I know? Because I had it also. But how, what was the signs that she knew? She wasn't with you. So she had heard. She had heard what I was doing. And she knew right away because it takes one to know one, right? right. Like she knew that someone like me who you know, was always just like very appropriate and, you know, saying things that are inappropriate and say, doing things that are not like me. She saw it because after her third, 
child, she had the same thing. And um, she was able to get help. She saw a therapist. She went to get medication. And she really recovered. Like she, she really was living a very healthy life. And not only that, but she was someone I looked up to. But I was still so in my, like, so not in reality that I was like, what denial, denial, about? totally in denial. Were you upset when she came, barged in, and yeah, said, Yeah, like, I was like, What are you talking about? Like, who I'm are sorry you to tell me? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm sorry that happened to you, but like, that's not me. And then, you know, I got all upset. And I was like, What do you mean? I'm gonna have to be on medication. What does that mean? Am I gonna stop nursing? And she's like, Yeah, like, you're, you know what? It's more important to have to be a mother to your baby. And I was like, What? And I was like, Arguing with her. And I said to her, um, said this is all one conversation this was like a long hard yeah this is one conversation I said to her I was like I'm not taking medication that's for crazy people and she's like first of all she like laughed because she's like what you're telling me I'm crazy and then she said think about it like you have strep Zahava if I told you you had strep would you go get antibiotics I was like yeah she's like go get your antibiotics like why is this any different so that was just like that logic because part of moment. me was, part of my real self was still there. You know what I mean? I was sick. I was totally out of it. And I went right back into my delusion after that. But it did hit me. And I was like, I have something. I need to take care of it. Right away, that one conversation, you accepted it so far. No, no, it wasn't. Like, it was, it was part of the delusion. And part of it is that deep down in my inner core, like, I knew she was telling me the truth. Wow. But, um, yeah. Were you so grateful that she came knocking? Oh, I, she is like, she's totally heaven sent. Yeah. She's amazing. So at what point did you say, okay, uh, hold my hand. What do I do next? So it wasn't really, it kind of just went one thing to the next. The next day, my my son was 11 days old and we went to the psychiatrist in Israel, who was an amazing person. So much so that we thought we were going to at, we were living in Jerusalem. We thought we had to go to um, to B'nai Brak, another neighborhood. So we're traveling on a taxi there. And he traveled to Jerusalem to come see me. Wow. So he was like unbelievable. So from the start, um, this doctor was unbelievable. And so when I come into the office, the doctor is talking to me. And I was like, went behind my, um, my husband. And I was like, it's him. He's the one who's sick. You know, I was like, <gasps> I was then like, I thought I was convinced that whole ride that okay, you know, poor my poor husband, he has to make it like it looks like me. Okay, fine, I'll you, play along. Are you angry? I no, like it was part of my delusion. It's almost like I had my own, you know, I was my actor in my own show. This was oh. you know, I was or see probably by then it was probably scene twenty-three. And so now it's my husband getting help and I'm helping him get help. So that's how I got really into the taxi. And that's how I got into that office because my delusions were telling me all these. My, I, remember, I remember him saying something about, you know, being manic. And I was like, I'm not manic. He's like, you're as manic as manic gets. Who said this? The doctor? The doctor said that to me. How did he know so fast? Did you have a manic episode in his office? Yeah. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it didn't stop. Like I was... You know, my um, babbling and babbling and babbling, babbling, saying things that are completely not irrational, irrational, completely not like talking about things that that aren't don't even make any sense. But thinking that I can look at a person and totally read them and it was totally off. 
And he sat you down and he said, listen, Zahava, you're really not well. Did he break the news easily? Was he kind? Was he soft? Or was he like a, a true Israeli? Okay, Zahava, get medication. You're sick. Get well. <laughs> so he actually, he, he's an American doctor and he was just, he was so good with me because he played, like he kind of caught on to my language and was talking in the way that I wanted him to say. I really feel like God just put the words into his mouth. But what happened was I was really refusing. I was like, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. Everyone else is the problem. I'm the one who can save the world. I'm the one that's fine. You know, I was going into it. And he said to me, like he saw, this is not going to be easy. Please how many, one second. I have a question. How many yeah. weeks after birth is this? Like how long is this playing out? In this is home? 11 days after the baby. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the last thing on my mind was the baby. And the only time I thought about him was the fact that he is going to be Mashiach. Like oh he's going to be the Messiah. God. It was that was my son. I mean, I also I was really into the fact that he was so handsome. At one point, I was like, "Oh, he looks like an actor," and like you know, uh-huh. I was just like talking about that. And things were just so not. I was saying things I just totally didn't think about. Um, I would never think to say. And so what happened was, um, he he was really not getting through to me, and um, he obviously didn't want to come to the point where he would have to like force me to the hospital or anything like that. So it happened to be that where we met was an office um, in a, for an organization that is amazing. It really, really saved me. And that organization is called Mitza, and it's in Israel, and it's for women who have any sort of postpartum conditions. Mm-hmm. And they help in a lot of different areas. They helped me connect with this um, psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And they also gave me a mentor, and they found me a therapist, and they were just a constant help um, in, wow. in a lot of ways. They were amazing. And they're just made for women um, postpartum. For, post, for postpartum. Wow. And so, yeah. So I was in their office and she's never there at that time, but the head of Nitsa is named, her name is Ahava Winston. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, Ahava, oh my gosh. So basically my delusion came in that, but this delusion saved me. And that was that my doctor, Dr. Bunzel and Ava are really my father and my mother, but from a different life. And they're coming to give me something that's going to give me even more powers. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'll take it. Give it to me. Oh my gosh. And so I agreed and I took the medication. You know, it didn't happen. Right away, he told you take medication? Oh, Oh yeah. I mean, it was medication and therapy. That was the team plan for me. And you said, okay, because you thought he's giving you extra powers. Yeah. You can say, you, you're like, okay, I'm onto this because uh, I'm, I agree because I'll be the best thing ever with yeah. my hallucinations, whatever. I'll take it to the next degree. Right. But that, you know, that was in one minute. And then the next minute I would break down, but there was something in me that just kept saying like that, that same voice that understood that it was in my head that understood my friend who came to see me, that same voice also said, this is the right thing to do, Zahava. And that voice so was your true very small. Self, your true, true self, self, inside, inside, inside. Yeah. You said, okay. I'm a, well, I have so many questions. I don't even know where <laughs> to start. Okay. First of all, you're alone in Israel with your husband. Do you have any family, brothers, sisters, parents? Did your parents come in for the birth? Are your parents alive? Yeah, so I have um, parents, and I have I had I have in laws, and I have siblings. I you know we have a family, and 
in the beginning, everybody wanted, the only people who came in, I, my husband is the oldest in his family. So his parents who hadn't been there in 20 years since they had first gotten married, wow. they were coming for their first grandchild's circumcision and they right. were going to stay and it was summer vacation. It was perfect. Uh, my parents had come to, like while I was in my pregnancy, they came to visit us for the holiday for Hanukkah and everything. So anyway, so it was them. It was them. The same mother-in-law who fixed me up with her son saw this daughter-in-law be completely different. She's a very calm person, and she put up with me a lot. But I still remember, really, I, I, I drove her crazy. Like totally crazy. What did she say the first week after birth? What did she so say? So when she to- saw all of this, you know, in the beginning, she was just also really confused. Like I was like, this is not the person I set my son up with, you know? Right. She Was she supportive? She, she was incredible. Incredible. She wow. really also, like, I'm sure my friend also spoke to her about that. Like, that right. this is just like any other illness. And she herself is a behavior analyst, which is oh. ironic. <laughs> so, but I think that in, in that way, she was also able to see behaviors and as opposed to this is me, you know, like she was able to see like Zahava, Zahava and this illness is an illness, but it was yeah, all new. Fixable. It was all new. Yeah. I mean, they didn't know it was fixable at the time, but they were hoping. I mean, the fact that they saw my, and that is the whole amazing thing. It's like such a foreshadowing for my organization. The fact that the person who really was the driving force in me getting help was someone who went through it themselves. But that's always, I feel like that's always the fact. Like until someone goes through any kind of process that's hard, it's very hard to give true empathy if you weren't there because we're, yeah. we are just not aware of the struggles. We're not aware of what they're going through. And only somebody that saw and felt it can say, okay, I'm willing to jump in and save her because mm-hmm. if I don't do it, she's gonna, it's going to be over. Like Absolutely. she's going to lose it. And I'm willing to take the leap of faith that I might be wrong. She might slam the door on my face. She might be angry at me, but I'm willing to do everything because I know how hard it is and what she's going through, and we need to save her. Absolutely. And you're so lucky that you had her. I know. Wow. It really was. And wait, okay, fine. So your in-laws were there. Yeah. Like, yeah, my in-laws supporting, were there. supporting you through, and your husband probably, when he was scared out of his mind, like, where oh, did yeah. my wife go? Yeah. The most beautiful moment we became parents. Less than a year after we were married, mm-hmm. and suddenly I lose my wife. I don't know where she is. This, exactly. this, this something else took over my wife, and I want my wife back, and I'm scared. And who's going to take care of our children, uh, our child? Like, who was exactly. taking care of your, your baby? So, yeah, so I'll tell you, my, my doctor, the way he, his protocol was, uh, was different than in, in the future times for me, was to keep me home as much as possible. Like, even though I really needed 24-hour care. He, between my husband and my mother-in-law, who stayed for that first month, they babysat for me and for the baby. Were um, you hands off? Were you allowed it to? It was, yeah, no, I, I mean, I was, they wanted to get, and I, I wanted to be the mother. I wanted to be in charge. It was really hard to stop nursing. That's something I talk about a lot because I know people, you know, hesitate to not take medication because of that. And I've seen so much that that was something that, was so important to me and I was so obsessed with that concept, but 
looking back at, you know, in hindsight, I see how much what a mother is, is the bond is so strong no matter what. And that nursing is a beautiful thing, but it should never stop a person from getting the right help. And so, but at the time it was really, really hard for me to be watching other people feed my baby. Um, it was really hard not to want to do what, you know, I, I took the medication, but it wasn't like instant. Oh yeah. You it know, takes time. It, it was, I was very agitated. I, I turned into a very agitated state because I would be high. Then I would be really upset and low. And then I would go high and low and it would be a back and forth thing. Um, because it was my first episode and I never had any, like it was my first time. So it was postpartum psychosis. It wasn't officially at that time bipolar yet, but I was becoming, um, I was showing signs of bipolar because at one point, right, it does I'm acting really high, right. it, which it is. I mean, it became bipolar once it happened more than once, but um, it wasn't just only part postpartumly induced. But point wise, I was still wanting to do everything my manic side wanted, but my depressed anger side was noticing reality and reality hit really hard. Wow. I'm processing this. This is like, I'm really processing this and seeing your beautiful face that, that people are going to see on the picture, seeing your smile and your energy that's popping out. It's like, wow, how could it be that this girl that went through a manic episode is so alive and okay and put together now and running an organization? It's like, I'm just literally processing all this. And, and especially because you come from the Orthodox community that's so scared of talking about these things and so quiet and hiding it and pretending that there's no problem. And you right away, like you went to a doctor, you started taking medication, you accepted the fact that something is wrong. It's un incredible. I want to ask you about the baby. Were they afraid for you to be with a baby alone? Were they afraid of what you're going to do? Would you might do something dangerous for the baby? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That was a big part of why they had to stay with me and the baby all day. And because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the right judgment. And um, I, you know, I saw after doing things, certain things that I did, like um, I, it was time for the baby to eat. And I said, no, we need to wait another 15 minutes, you know, cause I just, oh, see, I was, you know, I was in control. I wanted to be in control when I saw my life was totally out of control. Right. And so I was, you know, he would, the baby needed to eat, you know, and if I was by myself, like it would have been really bad. So they definitely needed to watch me. So how long was it until you were allowed to be alone with your baby? My baby, we're going back 14 years ago. My baby oh, my years. oh my God. Oh my God. There's a lot that happened since then. But um, at the time, um, it was about two months when, um, it was about a month that I, month, six weeks maybe, um, where I started getting back into reality. But I was more in a depressive state. The medicine took effect of the manic, the but you yeah. were depressed. Yeah, but it, that's what it is. It's like when you're at a, such a high extreme, you have to go all the way to the other end to get in the middle, um, which is a concept in Judaism. But it also, it really, really hit so, so hard. So I was just like, not so, you know, again, not interested, but it was even more like my lack of interest. You know, depression is... It's like really, you know, there was a therapist who, who shared with us that, you know, the names of the illnesses in the mental health world are completely off. Um, I think you could understand depression is not just like being sad, you know, it's not just being angry. It's, it's like 
when your whole life just doesn't look the same anymore. And it's like, you know, things that had had life to it don't have life anymore. Right. And um, so I started feeling like that. And yeah. the worst was when people would be like, wow, Zahavi, you look like you're getting so much better. And I'd be like, I'm not better. I'm, I'm miserable. Dead inside. I'm dead inside. Exactly. How everybody knew what you were going through? Okay, so that's the thing with me. A big part of my story is that I was never able to completely hide it. Because I was calling people from my hometown. I was calling different, you know, with different episodes that I had. I had, you know, this was my first episode, but I had 10 episodes in seven years. So I did a lot of different things. And between all of those times when I was manic, I would, at that time, call everybody. So people knew. People knew that something was up with me. And so when I would come back into my depressive mode and start feeling the shame and start mm-hmm. feeling like thinking about what I did, at that you time... You everything you did? Yeah, I did. It's not like it's two different people. Like the, the, you rem- it's not like when you're drunk and you don't remember what you do, right? You actually Most- remember... Most of it. Most of it I did. I did. I always remembered it. Yeah. So, yeah. So for me, um, you know, two months after I had my first baby, we came back to my hometown and some people knew about it. And some people I were like, do they know about it? So um, that was a big part of, of me being able to get open eventually about everything because I always think of it as like when you're coming into a room with a stain on your shirt. So it's like you could be spending the entire time like covering up your stain or you could just say, hi guys, I got this stain on my shirt. It's so annoying. Right. And then just right. keep talking. Right. So for me, I was like, do they know? Do they not know? Should I say it? And, and instead, I'll just, I just said it. And, and then it was like, okay, let's talk about something else now, you know, and wow. but it was a journey, of you? definitely a journey. Yeah. Um, people afraid to connect with you? Too? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Like when I came back, I saw like the way that people looked at me was different. I mean, I was like, you know, a lot of people like really looked up to me. Like I had a lot of students and the parents and yeah. And, and people were just like, oh, you know, and I probably felt it even more you know, then maybe it was really true. And it just adds more to the pain because you suddenly feel so alone and valued because now you're just valued for the old Zahava, but not for who you are now and for your struggles. And and it's okay to be connected to somebody that's going through something. I think it's because people just don't know how to react. I don't think it's from cruelty. I think they're just like, okay, I'm just not, I don't know what this is and I don't know how to interact with her. And what if she has a manic episode? What do I say? What do I do? So let me just stay away. Yeah. Yeah. I I hear that. Oh my, that is wow. So after two months, you were allowed to be with your baby alone? Well, it was like a, it was an adjustment. Like over time, um, it would be like a few hours and then it would be like, you know, here and there. And then eventually, yeah, like once I became steady, you know, where people, you know, I was, I was functioning, you know, then, then it came a time, but it was, it was still really hard. I wasn't having that same enjoyment that I know I could have with having a new baby. And the the illness was really taking over a lot. So you're, you're recovering, your in-laws go back. Do your parents come at all? Do you ask them to come? And that particular time they didn't, but there were future times when I had different episodes that my, my mother came in and yeah. I want to touch upon your husband's support because he sounds like a phenomenal human being. 
not many people have relationships with a partner that can support them through this. It's a very scary thing. It's very new Mm -hmm. to the partner. What do you think it was that he had in him to say, we'll work it out. I'm here by your side, even when it's so disconnected. So, you know, it's interesting though, when you, when you talk about it, it kind of brings back memories. Like when people would be like, your husband is so amazing. And I'd be like, why? Because he has me as a wife. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, so I think that, um, what he has, he always said was what kept him going is the fact that he saw I was willing to get help. Like, I started seeing a therapist. Um, it took a little bit of time for, you know, for me to get like really in a stable headspace for it. But I, it was within two months after I started on medication, that I went to therapy. So he saw how hard I was working on in therapy. He saw that, um, you know, because there were, there were times where I could really be me. Like I can have a day here and a day there that I'm oh. back. Oh. So he's like, it started for him for him to see that this is this there's more than just this illness. you know there's more to her there's there's there is a little more to her right and i think it's a miracle that he stayed with me. <laughs> and it's a yeah. miracle but it's but he must have seen or remembered also and and yearned to that connection that you had and hoped that it would come back and you'll heal and also it probably felt so sorry for you because you were sad you were depressed yeah. you were and to see a loved one suffer is so hard. Did he go through therapy? Yeah, at times he did. Yeah, and at times he did with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely been a journey. Wow. So how long did it take you till... Are you still on medication? Oh, I've never stopped medication. So, okay. So now I have to get some clarity. So you're saying that this this is a condition that starts after you give birth. Like, no, it, because you grew up without any of this, the trigger was birth. It's a form of postpartum. That was the first time, yeah, that I had ever had any sort of episode was after birth. Um, but following that, I, I had times where it was nothing to do with birth and I got an episode. But do they believe that if you were, nev- if you were a woman that never got pregnant, would you have this? breakthrough sometime like would this happen I think so I think so because of the trauma that I've been through it would have come out in some way or another oh so is just so you you were aware of a trauma only afterwards it only came out after oh yeah so it was just something that triggered it to come out yeah and and the probably the hormone imbalance and all that what you were fragile you couldn't keep it together right so do the, in the medical world, they believe that you you, diag- you were diagnosed as bi- bipolar? Bipolar 1, which is, which is um, it's features of psychos- psychotic manic features together with depression. But it's called bipolar 1 because the primary um, severe um, signs of, of um, what I had in the illness were the hot highs and this, you know, the mania, mania side. Depression was more mild compared to that. And it, does depression always come with bipolar one? Yeah, because it always ends up into a depression after the high goes away. Oh, is there any way to heal? Um, so I definitely have had a lot of healing over the, you know, from when I look back now, as we're talking about what happened 14 years ago, and I think about today, I'm a different person. I am like, I don't 
view healing as not being in therapy, not being, having medication, not having the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I view healing in so many, so much deeper. Oh, I love that. So talk about that a little bit because people think healing means, and me too. I, I, I so appreciate what you're saying because I think healing means I don't have depression anymore. I don't have panic attacks anymore. I don't need my medication. I forgot about my medication. I'm a happier person. I'm an active person. I went through my garbage and overcame my whatever traumas or whatever stuff that I needed to overcome that was suppressing. Done. It's in the past. But you're saying no. You can be healing a healed person even if you're still manic episodes, even if you're still on medication, even if you still have lows, you're still healed. Yeah. I love that. So, so tell me about that a little bit. How do you see that? So I see it as, you know, I have learned so much about myself. My self-awareness is, has never been, and I don't think it would have ever been if I hadn't have gotten help. Um, I feel like the fact that I can go through life's challenges are going to be hard and they're going to be, um, they're going to be ups and downs. I think we all know that. Like that means we're alive for me to say like, you know, it happens to be, thank God, I've, I have not gotten a psychotic episode in four years. But that doesn't mean that I don't get times where I can get high and I can get low, but it, it is in a more controlled state. And so when I, but what I've learned so much about myself and about how to deal with anything that comes my way, that I feel like is healing for me. And, and that when I can be, get, find the signs of when I'm getting high and stop myself can and you? put it into perspective. I mean, thank God it's really gotten to a point where I could, um, I could get to that. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that tomorrow, you know, it will get, it will, it will kind of take over. But what I've actually learned is that the psychosis and the depression don't take over. They don't like fall upon me that I've learned ways where I can help myself right away, kind of change the perspective. One thing I learned that I think is so good and I could apply to so many things is um, to look at the to look at the world um, and to look at myself as like a panoramic picture. So I want to be in the center, and that means I'm going to be balanced. There's going to be good. There's going to be hard things, but like I'm I'm in the center. Um, when I'm feeling more towards the high side, like I think of the like the panoramic, the right side of the picture. And that's when I'm like thinking I'm the most amazing thing in the world and everything is, you know, this is what the world is going to look like. And I'm starting to have these feelings. I want to call that person. I want to do that. Um, and then think about the other side of the, of the picture would be like, there's no point. I'm worth nothing. I'm ready to leave. And, and it could be all of those hard, you know, really, really low feelings. But I want to be in the middle. So how do I do it? I find myself towards one extreme, like the high, I have to bring in a little, like some of the low. Um, so that means if I'm feeling so great, bring in like an insecurity, but, but Zahava, aren't you a little bit worried about this happening tomorrow? Why is that good? Don't we teach people confidence, believe in yourself, loving yourself, self-doubt, throw out the garbage. Like you're bringing in the self-doubt. So so I'll tell you because. (laughs) high all the time. I'll take Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But you know, living in this world, it's, it's what's so amazing about it though, is because what I've seen and like when you originally said, you know, you have depression because I 
really believe that psychosis is a form of depression. And that form is running away. Things are hard. I can't be here anymore. It's not I'm going to go be someone else. It's yeah. And I, w- I became someone else. You know, my, at one episode, my sister, I have a twin sister. And she said to me, she's like, to have a, like, I wanted to say to you, who are you and what did you do with my sister? Like, I was a different person. Wow. So, so what was I doing? I was running away. So when things are hard and I'm feeling like I'm still feeling like stressed and, and having all these worries and everything, but I'm running away. So what do I have to do? I have to like remind myself like to have a, you're feeling something come back and I could get me back more center. And then can you, can you do and, it alone? Yeah. Like, well, I'm saying there's there, there's therapy that I, that I do consistently um, and then there's also tools that I've done um, that I've learned independently that I could help myself kind of recenter. It's an illness. It is an illness. It's not something that like you can take a pen and paper with and, and like you're fine. You know, it's it's definitely something that, you know, I've had med- medicine adjustments many times. Um, I was hospitalized. I had um, ECT treatments. What's I did buy ECT? ECT is like the modern day electric shock. It's, oh. it's electric convulsion therapy. And that was at a time I was in the hospital. What and they were too. Um, so it's actually different brain waves that they put in and um, they, they do it either bilaterally or unilaterally around. And they're basically, um, it's a medically induced seizure. And um, there's really actual no medical evidence of why it works, but it can work for people with severe depression and with people um, who also like me psychosis severe psychosis and you do you did this in america or in israel so this was when i moved back i lived in israel for six years we moved back to america and i had three hospital stays while i was since i've been living in america and in israel you were able to stay there alone without family supporting you through all this so you know i was able my family had always somebody always came in when i would have an episode um and that was part of the reason why we left um, after six years. We but six years to- is a lot. It was a long time. It's a lot of time to say we could do this alone. Yeah. Were you, yeah. once you, the first episode and you were like close to getting better on medication, how much, how long was it till the next one? So my next episode um, was six months after my baby was born. Oh my God. So that's a hell of a year. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was like one thing after the next. Were yeah. you hospitalized in Israel? No, I was never in Israel. My doctor was very much into getting me 24 hours, somebody with me. Okay. That was just the way he did it there. Right. Um, and then when I was in America and yeah, I mean, we're talking about 14 years of stuff. There's a lot right. to say. Right. Wow. Was, yeah. yeah it was I, I feel like I could talk to you for, for an, a year straight <laughs> hearing all this. I want to ask you about the twin. I've, I'm going to touch about the twin because I didn't know you were a twin. Yeah. So like you're connected and you're, you're really connected and it must yes. be so frightening for her to see somebody like a part of her being yeah. so not like she is. Did it bring you together or did it separate you? Oh, we've been always very close and she's always been such a humongous, huge, huge support. I mean, my hospitalization, she would call me every single day and she was, she was really there for me. Yeah. Do you sometimes think why me and not her? Why not us together? You know, we all have our own challenges and, you know, we've always been taught not to compare each other. So, you know, it was never a thought. Now we're just, yeah, I'm just happy with her success and she's happy with mine and we're there for each other in our own challenges. Wow. I, I, I read a book, I think it's called my lovely wife in the psych ward. Did you read it? 
about yeah. a husband. It's a husband that exactly like what your your story. Wow. Um, and how they used to prepare, like she went, man, she, they were on a high. Everything was great. She had a corporate job. Amazing. They got married. They had the most loving relationship, like a fairy tale. And I think it was right. I don't remember the details, but I think right after her first pregnancy, she went manic. And then it was a repetitive things and how they prepare, how she was in a psych ward and, and how they prepare for an episode because they never know when it's going to happen, but right. they know it will happen and how they got used to it as a, this is the way our life is. We have to get used to it. Mm-hmm. It was such an eye opening. Like how, how, how do they do that? It's because it's a constant maintenance. Yeah. No, it's definitely like, you know, if for me, it's, it's like, I'm thankful every day that I could be here and present just, just to catch you up. After that, I have three more children. How? And for after my second, I also had a a relapse and my third one, I had another episode, but my fourth one was born after I started an organization. He's like my miracle baby. And I can't believe this. You had you were willing to risk going through three more of these yeah. in the sake of a child. My kids are all five years apart. Um, and I, you know, in between when it came to a certain point, so that those first two episodes were like, you know, once and then six months later. But then I had I had a good two, two and a half years. And then I had, you know, I had time in between where I was steady and stable. And, you know, I always with my doctor and my rabbi and everybody together, like it was like a team decision I did. And I always, like, I never went off medication. Like I said, there's reproductive psychiatry. And so there's ways to have babies while being on medication. And so I was people were very hopeful and yeah, but it was definitely a risk that I took. Did you want it so badly that you were willing to take the risk? Yeah. I so wanted it. I so wanted it. You wanted to prove that you could do it again, even though you might have an episode, you're willing to, to risk it. You weren't afraid. No, because I knew that I knew that I had my support there. Um, I, you know, I just, I always took care of myself afterwards and um, we were always hoping that this time would be different. And the last time was. And it was. What do you think it was that was different? Well, I'll tell you that we did do, we did put effort medically wise. Like I was, um, I had started my third trimester, something like a more, I guess, invasive type of, I I don't know the word, but like a medication that people take more as an emergency drug. I started in my third trimester. Um, And then right when the baby came out, I, I was on another medication that I used previously as an emergency drug. And so that combination of making sure I had a full night of sleep, because that was always my first sign. Um, and they also prepared, like I had a room in John Hopkins waiting for me. I had, I was on the list for ECT treatments. Like it was all prepared. It wasn't like if Zahava gets sick, it's like when Zahava gets sick, like right away, you know, not oh. like let's learn from before. But when my baby was born and we just I didn't have to get into the hospital and I didn't have to take any, have any treatments and the medication worked and, um, it and was you were really, happy. You were happy. Just I was happy. just, I was just like, a, like a regular, After like that? I was called bounce back mommy. Like I, I was there, I was functioning. I had some, some hard times like physically after birth, but most like 
you know, that's where I see the difference when people say, I'd much rather have a physical illness than a mental illness. Yeah. Because um, I just, I was so grateful that I wow. was in my right mind that I could wow. actually be present. Wow. And what it was it like having a manic episode when you had little kids at, at home? What happened to them? So you have a so, house full of children and then yeah. mom goes manic. What, do they get scared? Are they aware? Do you speak to them about it? Do they know? So, yeah. So my last episode was after my third child, who's now four years old. And when he was born, my oldest was 10 at the time. Um, so he definitely knew something was up. But I was so adamant about getting hospitalized right away. Um, even when my doctor said, let's just wait till the medicine kicks in. My husband said, let's give it some more time. I said, no. That last time I was in the hospital, which was a really, really hard stay, I went because I said, if I can't take care of myself, I cannot take care of my family. Wow. I want to go now to your organization. Yeah. We're going to start opening about your, okay. I needed to get background. I'm, and, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm really, I can't believe what you went through. So Zahava went through this story that we're just hearing now, and we're just hearing the tip of the iceberg because you could probably re write 10 books on each, on, on each year of your life. So we're just getting an, a, a slight understanding of what bipolar one is. What is it like to be pregnant? What is it like to be in a relationship? What is it like to function? We're getting a little bit of a taste. So not only that, so Zahava goes through all this, and then she says, okay, I'm, I want to make what I went through worthy, and I'm starting an organization to break the stigma and to bring awareness and to give support to other women out there. Now, give me a little bit of a background on your organization, the name, why it's called the name, when it started, and what you do. So after my last episode, um, I was still in the middle of doing treatments. And um, at that time, I had, like, when I moved back to America two years before that, I started Overeaters Anonymous, um, OA. And, um, you know, because that was, again, part of my, my struggle with my medication and my illness was my weight. And that also, I know, is a lot of a reason why people hesitate when taking medication. But for me, I just see, like, I, you know, I've, I've been a yo-yo when it comes to my weight, but I know that uh, who I am and who I'm going to be remembered by is so much more than weight. Yeah. So anyway, so what happened was when I was in OA, I was so floored by the fact that people would come in to these meetings, share their experience, strength, and hope, and talk about their experiences so openly, but yet so anonymously. And I was like, this is awesome. And so I thought all my problems were about food. But what I saw when I started getting to know people in OA and the fact how they have this concept of being outreach and how if I'm struggling and I want to pick up, I call someone else to see how they're doing. And I just, it was so, such a like, oh, eye-opening thing about giving is so much about what you're healing is. It's so much about receiving, exactly. Wow. And so when I went to these meetings, I started, you know, I had to be abstinent or whatever for a certain amount of time. I was on my eating plan. And then eventually I got to share my story. And I also connected with people. And when I connected with people, I saw that other people who went through mental illness like me, and eating disorders are a mental illness. Right. So we, we like spoke the same language. And I was like, wow, like they really get it. And so I was in a few different fellowships. And at one fellowship I got really into, I started my own phone meeting. It was in the library and it was through a, via a conference call. And I also had people live there. 
And I thought like, wow, like I'm connecting with all these people. But the more I got into talking about the 12 steps and the less I was talking about like our experiences and everything like that, I thought the 12 steps are awesome. But for me, I just loved and craved the peer support. And I wanted to find something with my within my community because my community has specific needs in in the Orthodox community. I wanted to connect with other um, Jewish Like-minded. Like-minded, same struggle, yeah, same exactly. background. You get exactly. each other. Totally, totally. We really we come from the same, the same type of background. And I felt that um, I really wanted to connect with other Jewish women mm-hmm. who were struggling with mental health. And I also wanted to have family members. And part of my journey in opening up was I got very close with someone I knew in the community who opened up to me that her very close family member was um, suffering with mental illness and she couldn't tell anybody, but she knew that I had it because I was, I was pretty open. A lot of the community knew already, but then, so um, we talked and I saw that when I would tell her things, she would understand her family member better. And when she was talking to me, I was like, wow, this is what my family feels like. So I said, I didn't say I'm going to start an organization. Like that would have been like, whoa, me, you know, so I said, I'm going to start a phone meeting. I started a phone meeting for OA. I could start a phone meeting, but I have to like get people into it because this is yeah, not like. Find, yeah, in our, in our Orthodox community culture, it's taboo. I know, exactly. So and how like, did you get people to say, I'm signing on? I know. So, so what I did was um, I said, okay, I want to make it an, I want to get a name for it. There is a there is a there's a organization that's called Samfenu, which is saying like bring us happiness. Happiness, and that is for um, Jewish women who are struggling because they are widows for widows. Oh and wow! All sorts of things for them to support for them. So I said, if that's for them, then the Jewish women who are who I who I connect with who are struggling with mental health, I want to call it Chazkenu. And Chazkenu is a prayer that means strengthen us. And more than anything else, I needed strength through everything I've been through. And I felt that the people around me who are struggling like this need strength. So I said, okay, I'm going to make a meeting and it's going to be called Chazkenu. And, but I said, I need, I need help. I need people to help me. So I, long story short. I need to stop you. I wish the audience can see my extreme smile and goosebumps. I wish they could see what I'm going through just hearing this. This is so phenomenal. Like the, the, how you got to the name and the why and how you, you went over the obstacles and said, okay. I, I need to find the people. I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm going to start small and I'm going to find, I like, I'm, I'm in awe. Okay, go on, go on. Thank you. I want to just like find partners, like who are, who are going to do this with me? Because I knew that if we're going to do something like this, just like in, in a way, it has to be by the people for the people. And I wanted to find other peers. So there is a website called fromsupport.com, which is a forum where people in the Jewish community put all different, under all different illnesses, they'll have different conversation threads and things like that. So it wasn't incredibly active, but I said, you know what, let me try. So I clicked on bipolar because that's what I was diagnosed with. Oh, that's and so I wrote, hard, by the way, to find a platform that is already I know. And just be very vocal there. Exactly. So I was like, hey, you know, I'm just right there. So I wrote, is anybody interested in starting a phone meeting for Jewish women with mental health challenges and family, female family? The first response was, that's never going to happen. Really? Yeah. Who said that? Uh, someone, someone that's, someone someone that's suffering? Or someone, some, someone yeah, I mean, someone who came on. 
No, no, it's only for, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was a therapist. It sounded like it was just one of the members on there. Wow. Um, and then the second reply I got was a private message from someone named Naomi. And um, Naomi is, was my first co-founder. Wow. And she started, we started writing to each other and our stories had their, our, we had our own journeys, but we were, we had so many things in common. Mm. And I was like, wow, like I'm not the only one. Like I already saw like there's a light. Wow. And um, then my rabbi told me that if you want to start this, you have to get other rabbinic endorsements. You need right. to get therapists. Yes. Like, you need to get your yes. name there. Right, right. So I spoke to rabbis who are very well known who said to me, like, go for it. The world needs this. And that was just amazing. Um, but then I was like, let me think about therapists. So there's a therapist in Chicago. His name is Dr. Rabbi Dr. Jerry Loeb. And he was, he spoke in my, in St. Louis when I was single and I, he started crying while he was talking about different emotions and, and different things. And I was like, I, I remember him talking about the five love languages and I was like, oh my gosh, like I have to call him. And like, it was amazing because I had all this energy, but it wasn't coming from mania. It was just coming from this like desire to want to give and give back right. and to connect. Right. So I call him up. And I was telling him my idea. He's like, that sounds great. Send me your proposal. And I was like, proposal? Proposal to what? This is a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, wait a second. This really could be an organization. And then at the end of the conversation, he's like, oh, I have someone in my synagogue who wants to do something similar. Her name is Tamar. Give her a call. Here's her number. So Tamar was my second co-founder. Wow. I called her up and I was like, you don't know me. (laughs) <laughs> but oh um, would you like to start this with me? Um, and Naomi, at the time, the three of us um, started it. But that okay. night that I wait, 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 little, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. What did you found? What was that that so, when Naomi, Tamar, and Zahava? What did they found? This meeting was so much. This meeting that we planned was so much more than just a meeting. It was an or it really that night when I when I spoke to Dr. Loeb and he said, "Give me a proposal." I took out a piece of paper and I wrote all my dreams. Everything oh, I, I love it. And I put it into a nice like paper with typed it up. And I was like, Hey, this is my dream. Let me just send it to him. Your vision. And my vision. Totally. Yeah. And by the end of a year after we started our launched our first meeting, almost everything on that list came true. Without even going through the list, just looking afterwards, you're like, Oh, we did that. Oh, we yeah. did that. It wasn't like a checklist. It was a hindsight list. Oh my God, we did that. So yeah. So we launched our f- first meeting together with some of the projects that we do now, but a lot has, has, I'm sure evolved. So what was the first meeting? How did it happen? What, what did, what went on there? So it was, it was so amazing. It was just so amazing. So we had 12 women come on a phone or live phone. No, it was all over the phone. And what's, what's so nice about the phone meeting is that people who are not ready to expose expose themselves just like that, you know, just being behind a phone. I was always better on the phone and I felt more confident. So I remember our phone meetings um, are very much modeled after typical 12-step meeting. There's a peer moderator and there's a speaker, um, either a personal story. And in our case, we also have professionals talking on the line about a different topic and mental health. And then we open up for shares. It was just so exhilarating. I told my story on the phone for the first time and it wasn't just about eating. You know, it was real, it was a real 
stuff that I was talking about, about what I went through. And I had a voice and I had people I knew that were listening. Wow. And um, I remember someone saying um, in one of the shares, they said, I've never said this out loud. I have bipolar. Wow. And they never had, they never had accepted it. They never had the a courage or, or platform or somebody that was willing to hear it or hold it while hold their voice while they were saying it. She probably yeah. like, that was like her turning point. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people who joined Tuscano say that their life has changed completely and for the better. So at this meetings, what is it? An hour long on the phone? What is the platform? Yeah, so the, the, the speaker speaks for up to 20 minutes, and then we have shares until the, the hour is finished. And then we have an open forum where we continue to talk with the moderator leading, but it's, it's about anything. And during the meeting, we actually stick to the actual topic or the story that we're talking about. So some, and it's only about bipolar? No, no, no. So Kaskino is open to any, um, any mental illness that a person is struggling with or with a family member. Um, diagnosed or undiagnosed, what we've found is that it doesn't matter what diagnosis you have. There is such a common bond and understanding and the fact that we can be in a place where no one judges mm. and only loves and accepts each other is just amazing. So it's basically a support group. It's not even tips, right? It's support. You're not no. alone. You can get through this. Yes, it's a hard day, um, but there, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, so I'll tell you, it really is actually a lot about giving each other um, inspiration and um, what we learn. Like our stories, we've come to follow a path of talking about where we've come from, talk about um, our story, our challenges, and everything that brought us to today. But yet also, what have I learned along the way that I can pass out to my Hesikano sisters? And that's what Help each other. Okay. Yeah. So, you, so there is like paying it forward. Like I'm going to give, everybody has to give. It's not only taking and support. Absolutely. Okay. That's why we say we strengthen each other. Um, we strengthen ourselves through tra- by strengthening each other because it's all about the more I can see who I can help, the more I feel like so much better. So on these calls, is it different topics that I could decide, oh, I don't have bipolar, so I don't really want to be on the call because I'm too weak to hear about other people's pain, but I want to be a part of schizophrenia or I want to be a part of postpartum depression. Is there a topic that you tell people this Wednesday, we're going to be speaking about X and we could decide if we want to be a part of the call or not? Right. So we, we do, part, one of the things we do is we send out emails throughout the week. Um, and the, the emails are part of it are who's going to be speaking. And if it's a personal story, we'll say a personal story. So some stories people resonate with more than others. But I think, um, you know, yesterday when, when I was hearing from a woman with anxiety um, and went through trauma. So that type of thing, you know, even being that my main diagnosis is bipolar, I also have PTSD and I also have anxiety along with it. So I really connected to so many of, so much of what she said. I connected with the fact that she was opening herself up to all of us. And I was like, wow, she's being so vulnerable. That's so inspiring. So it doesn't even matter what the actual story is about. Um, if there is a professional talking about a topic like um, that doesn't really pertain or it's not something that I have interest in, 
people know that ahead of time. You know, we, we send out emails, we have a hotline and, um, number where people could find out who, who's going to be speaking. But a lot of the per- personal stories and also the discussion meetings that are led by our own members can really pertain to so many different things. Wow. So you also have meetings that I, I know I spoke to a lady in Israel that she runs meetings. Yes. Yeah, so Physical we have, meetings, not yeah, on phone. So talk about exactly. that a little bit. Yeah. So what we've saw six months into, it was about nine months after our first uh, meeting, is we had our first Shabbaton. And we had it at Rabbi Klatsko, who does Shabbat.com. Just he explain a, what a Shabbaton is. Okay. Shabbaton is a weekend retreat where we, we all um, have Shabbat together. Um, and we do all sorts of activities and different things that we did. And it was the connecting in person. Mm -hmm. And it says there's no comparison to hearing and seeing. And for those brave women, there were 35 at the time. Out of how many? Out of, I mean, like by then we probably, we probably had by then over a hundred. I'm sure, you know, we don't count because everybody who calls us, it's all anonymous. So we don't have like lists of people. So you don't even know who's calling. Unless they say, you know, when people come into, when people come into the free car to our conference call line, the only way we know that they're there is if they share. Yeah. So anyway, so when we came to that first Shabbaton and I saw people and I saw that we can talk face to face and Uh it was just so powerful. So after that, we started doing more and more. We, for our first year anniversary, we had a gathering in Brooklyn. And we started. now we've been starting to do it everywhere, all around the world. People gather together and do fun, exciting, meaningful things together. How do they start it? Like, what in, like how does the group, let's say, in Toronto or, or even in Europe, in London, how do they say, okay, we're starting a group? we connect people. Like, for example, the the group we have in London and the group we have in Israel, it took one of our members to be the representative where um, they'll come up with um, sponsors for it. London happens to be a big shout out to their Beaker Column in London, you know, support going next week. Oh my gosh. They should I go visit? Totally. They deserve all the credit in the world. Wait, should I go visit them next week? Totally. Totally. Tell them about what you do. They're amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, so there's a yeah. spearhead, somebody from your yeah. group that says, yeah. okay, I'm strong enough and I'm not shy right. and I'm willing to support and I'm willing to put in a lot of time because it takes a lot of time yeah. and yeah. they don't get paid. Right. It's all, all volunteer. And they said, I'm going to spear, I'm going to spearhead some kind of a group and they, yeah. and they plan something. They plan a get together and they hope yeah. that people will show up. What if no yeah, one shows right. up? So, you know, we've had really great success. I mean, what I call success is when there's seven there, you know, we've had, we've had gatherings with 50 people, with right. 60 people, but even a gathering of five, seven people who are willing to come huge. together and really talk about real things. And, but, but it's also, we, we make sure that it's a lot of fun. Right. Like we had just yesterday, our, sorry, Sunday, there was Zumba smoothie and salad making and the Zumba instructor told her story and it was amazing. And I was in Brooklyn and, and we, we've been just having such great things. We, we had um, like uh, planting in, in Monroe, we did planting therapy and um, at tapping somebody, one of our members does tapping and she came up and, and did it with us in Baltimore, here in Baltimore, we did uh, a night of just like fun games and getting right. to know you stuff. It was just great. And who sponsors all this? Do the people have to pay to come in? So we have very small admission fee. Um, 
but we also get sponsors for the events. And, and also sometimes some restaurants give out platters for us to eat and it's awesome. Yeah. So you became so big so fast. How many years ago did you start this? The we first started, phone call. So it was March 14, 2016. Oh my God. Only three years. Yeah. Yeah. And you're so big. Yeah, it's really awesome. And it's growing. Is it becoming growing. bigger than you than yourself? Like, do you feel bigger. over... Oh, way, way, way bigger. Oh, yeah. I never you... thought it would be like this. Are you scared at times? Like, what did I start and what did I take on? Can I do this? Yeah. You know, there is times where I feel like, oh, gosh, like, what if I just, like, totally melt? How am I going to do it? You know, and I have the most amazing team of volunteers and, and I've split up so much of our efforts are with in the hands of the most amazing, capable people who never thought that they were capable. Tamara and Naomi are still with you. Our Naomi have always been the founders. They're not acting founders right now, but they've always they're they're behind me, and they're they're really excited about the growth. And they had their own journey in mental yeah. health. Yeah, they both did. They both oh. did. Wow! Wow! This Sahava, you inspired me beyond, and I feel like. Everybody that's going through some, something say, even though we're going through something now, we can turn this into good. And it doesn't have to be a, a crazy organization like you did. Like, wow. It could be a lending hand, a lending ear, a support, a breaking the stigma moment, something small to make it worthy. I think this is like such a big, powerful lesson that you took such a deep, dark moment, scary moment. And it wasn't just a moment. It was many years and you turned it into such a giving opportunity and support to so many families. Think about how many families you are changing every single day by you giving them support. Yeah, it, it's just such a gift. It really is. And, and this, when I'm talking about recovery, I feel like peer support has been such a huge thing for me because like I said in the beginning, it was therapy and nurse, And I feel like it's really a triangle for me. Like that peer support yes. was lost. And, and when I found it, it's like, I felt like I just felt complete and I do feel complete. And I think that what the, the message that we give in Chaskino is that of course we say the stigma stops here and, and that it, it doesn't even enter and, and come near us. And, and it's, yes, we want the world to be, to be stigma-free and, and to not have to worry about it. Because something that our rabbinical advisor, Rabbi Estrell Grosberg, said that is so powerful, and I have to share this, that the pain of a mental illness is unavoidable, but the pain of stigma is avoidable. Wow. And I think that that's what so, you're doing. What Sarah. a powerful lesson. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. And, yeah. thank him. and thank him for my name. I don't know who he yeah. is, but a very wise man. Very, very. Very wise man. It's, it feels like you're surrounded by brilliant people, strong people. Am. You're a very lucky woman. You're a very courageous woman. And I'm so happy that somebody told me about you. And I can't believe I'd never heard of you, which is, which is sad. We need to spread the word that you're out there and you can give light to so many people that are suffering. So how do people find you? So we have, um, we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. Um, we have a website. Um, should I say the website? Yeah. Okay. So it's www.chazkenu and chazkenu is C-H-A-Z-K-E-I-N-U.org. Um, and we have a phone number also. Um, and that's 314-346-7414. Um, we also 
a lot of a lot of his word by mouth. Um, I also spoke on different uh, my my stories being serialized. I've have um, different articles about me, but we have like a couple members a week. Like we we really have like I've spoken to hundreds of people. Now I have more people doing phone intake with me. So we speak to every member before they they join. Um, everything's free, of course, but we want to talk to everyone and just make sure that it's the right place for them. Wow! Um, and how do you have a life with all that? You, you have boundaries with time, how much you give. Yeah, time. absolutely. Absolutely. Like I say, I, I really have delegated a lot with amazing people. And what's so nice is that my volunteers tell me that with everything they've been through, they never thought that they can do anything. And now they're like feeling so empowered <sighs> and they feel like they have meaning. And exactly. It's- and that's, I think the biggest lesson I got out of this. Yeah. That out of all the pain, you have such a meaning, great, hopefully it's greater than the pain, which no one can really comprehend because I can't right. even comprehend what you went through and the courage to have more babies after that and not being afraid. And and you probably live every day thinking, is it going to happen? Right. I mean, that's something that I definitely have to, you know, overcome. Yeah. And even though I'm afraid it might happen, I'm willing to... to go and live the big life and give, even though tomorrow I might be weak, but today I'm okay. Now I'm okay. I'm going to live in the now, be in the moment, be right now present. Don't be worried about the future Exactly. and, and crying about the past. Exactly. Wow. So, so powerful. I hope to meet you in person. I know. It'd be amazing. I would love to come to one. Are you, are you doing any further retreats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're having one in December, another retreat, and we have events probably every four to six weeks. So in different okay. places. Yeah. This is so phenomenal beyond. Thank you for joining us and thank, thank you for you. sharing. And I'm and I might have you on again because I'm sure I'm going to have an outpouring of questions that are going to come. <laughs> and I, I I'm I'm processing. As I said, I'm processing this at myself. I just want to ask you. This is big for you, but it's probably so simple. What does hope mean for you? Hope, you know, when it says hope stands for hold on, pain ends. So I think that what I found um, hope means is that even if today is hard, it doesn't mean tomorrow has to be also. That pain ends. I like that. What is it? Hold on, pain ends. Ooh, I like that. And everything has a time and everything has an ending. Nothing yeah. lasts forever, even yeah. though it can come back. In your case, it can come back. It could. It could. can come back and you're, yeah, I'm going to be in the now. And if it, the now is hard, I'm going to wait for the better. And if the better is good, it's now, I'm going to be in the now, in the good. Right. Exactly. Wow. Can you thank your husband for me for supporting <laughs> you through this and for, me, and for helping you become such an amazing person? Because I believe that we need support. We really need support from our close family and friends. Absolutely. And whoever's listening out there, if you are a friend that went through it and you see somebody that's going through it, go help them. Look at what Zahava became because the girl was courageous enough to say, I'm going to go and tell her what she's going through and hold her hand and push her to get help and teach her what she's going through. Is there anything else you want, any closing points you want to give before we say goodbye? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for what you do. It's just amazing work. And you're, you're living that way of, of spreading awareness and, and not letting the stigma continue. Um, I think that what, what I always want to 
leave off and, and for people to remember when, when hearing the word chazkinu, when hearing about strength, knowing that every small effort that we do, every small effort that we take, when I thought of it as like just one person, if I can have one person, it's all worth it. Mm. So if we just remember to just think about one thing that we can do every day to help ourselves remove our own self-stigma, feel better about who we are, and also to try to help the next. So thank you so much. Wow. Thank you, Zahava, and good luck. And I'm sure that like in a year, you're going to be much bigger. <laughs> and this, and, and I, I see it as like you're peeling the eggshells off of these people that are cooped into their shell and they're you're yes. peeling their shell and letting them be alive oh, i hope so yes yeah. yes so keep on doing your great work thank you and hopefully we'll see you again soon yes thank you so much okay, okay. take care Bye. thank you for joining us and taking the time to listen i really appreciate it please hit the subscribe button so you can hear further episodes if you are listening to us on itunes please leave feedback and ratings below let us know if there's any topic that you would like to hear from us in the future. Bye till next time.